Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! Good to see you. My name is Kurt. Hey, oh, that's fun. Let's do that on a snow day, huh? That's great. Um, the first thing to tell you is very exciting. Yesterday was my mom's birthday. Can you say the number? Sure. Okay. Oh, that's sweet. It's my mom's 70th birthday. And my mom, what she wanted more than anything for her birthday is to be with her kids. So she drove up here, uh, saw me, which is worth it. (laughs) My brother and family drove down from Montana. My sister already lives up here. So it's been a whole family reunion. You should all talk to my mom and say hi. And if there's anything you disagree with in this sermon, probably her fault. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Not. There you go. That's great. Uh, So something my mom would know well about, and maybe you've had this experience either as a child or you've witnessed this experience in a crowded public place. Have you ever seen young siblings who are like wrestling, messing with each other? Um, Like one of the classic kid games is the I'm not touching you game, where like you just get that finger close enough. And like, I'm not touching you. Or uh, if you have an older sibling who's particularly cruel, you have to like pin down the spit. Did you ever familiar with that? Where you like, you spit and suck it back up. Ugh, right? And in those moments, if you are, uh, if you've watched those moments and you see that there's one child harassing the other and harassing the other and harassing the other, and then usually the other child has a break. And they, they tackle, they attack, they fight back in some way. And as an adult, who hopefully is not like a huge proponent of fighting and violence in general and societally, you still have a little something within you that's like, yes, right? There's some form of justice that happens. And usually, if you are the parent and you talk to the kids, because I know this is something we've said to our kids, is like, you should not have hit. Also, what were you thinking? Why did you push them and push them and push them to this point? If you continue pushing people to this point, it's quite possible that someone's going to do something. They're going to fight back. They're going to defend themselves. They're going to do this. And the reason why I bring it out, uh, that story out, is it illustrates the kind of story where violence is not the answer. Violence isn't even something that we want to see. But usually we hold intention that we don't just say to the child that was hit, if they were antagonizing and antagonizing, to say, all of your behavior was okay, all of it was fine, you should never hit, and that two things are true at the same time. Are you with me? You need to stop that behavior in doing that thing, and you shouldn't hit. Also, you deserved it a little bit. Also, don't hit. And in those circumstances, you you wouldn't walk away if you watched a parent kind of teach their child and do that. You wouldn't walk away saying that they were teaching their children that violence was okay. You also wouldn't walk away thinking that they were saying that antagonizing is okay. Those two things are true at the same time. And that kind of tension, that kind of holding two ideas at the same time, is something we're going to need this morning 
as we continue our message series called Revisiting Paul. So just to kind of reset the scene why we're doing this, is we've noticed that as we've read through the Bible, we've talked about it, some people have a complicated relationship with Paul. And Paul is the person who wrote a majority of the New Testament. So what we've been doing as a church is we've been going back to the writings of Paul. We've been saying, who is Paul as a person? How did Paul uh, interact with his sacred text, being a Pharisee and being the son of a Pharisee? How did he interact with the Torah, what we would call the Old Testament? Because that helps us understand how we would interpret what he wrote. And then we've been going through some of the uh, topics that he covered that can be most problematic or create the most kind of rejection or indifference to Paul. And so a couple of weeks ago, we had Harriet brought a fantastic message. Uh, it would have been three weeks ago now. If you haven't heard, go back and listen to it on Paul and women. Uh, what was Paul writing about when he talked about um, both the marital codes and also when he says women are not permitted to teach? What, what was that about? A lot of context, a lot of understanding of the larger themes of Paul. How do we hold them all together? This morning, we're going to look at Paul and slavery. Um, and what did Paul say about this? Because certainly writings of Paul were used to kind of hold up slavery for a long time. And while overt slavery isn't a real issue that we see certainly in our context right now, there's more slaves today than there's ever been. And we want to look at what are some of the underlying issues. And thirdly, it's hard to read someone who's talking about something totally different if you also assume they support slavery. So it's an important thing to address, even if it isn't an issue we deal with today. And next week, we're going to finish up the message series by looking at Paul and homosexuality. What were these, these scriptures that were talked about and Paul addressed? What was Paul talking about? What was happening there? So here's what we're going to do. We are going to jump in this morning. Three passages where Paul specifically talks about slavery. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be looking at, we're going to jump to a bunch of different scriptures, all Paul's writings, but we're going to look at Ephesians 6 to start. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. The, the words will be up on the screen. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 8 says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So already, and we're going to kind of look at, at these rapid fire, but you can see, uh, here's the thing. I would encourage you at this point to be uneasy with this section of Scripture. If you're not, I have more questions, okay? So as you read that, you should say, wait a second. We're equating slave owners with Christ? And we're talking about that you, you view them with respect and fear. You're oppressor? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Now let's look in Titus. Titus 2 says this. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try and please them, not talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is instructions that Paul is giving to Titus for what he should be teaching slaves, uh, which is interesting. It, it almost feels like this reads out of like the Christianity for slaves PR menu, right? Like if we want Christianity to look good, 
we got to have some good slaves in our ranks. So let's go ahead and push that message out, right? The last one, Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when the eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So this one, this Colossians one, seems really similar to the Ephesians one. Always uh, obey your slave masters and think of them as if you were serving Christ. So a couple of things that we want to pull out of these, uh, because we're not going to change the content of what Paul said. Those three sections are are what Paul was talking about, what Paul was said. What we're going to do is we're going to get some different context on it. What's the lenses that we put on to read those words? The first thing, and this is really important, is that it was Christ above all for Paul. In all of Paul's writings, it's important to understand that here we have a Pharisee who had grown up in the Jewish religious system that was the entirety of his world. He had studied it, known it, taught it. His whole identity was linked to who his father was and who he was, was through this religion. He has an encounter with Christ on the road, and he reorients himself and his life to Christ. So for him, Christ is everything. Everything he ever talks about is the nature of Jesus Christ. And so if you notice what he's talking about, he's in talking about slavery and talking about being a slave owner or being a slave, he's always going to link it to this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And basically for him, Christ reorients everything. Christ reorients everything. If you understand who Christ is, that would totally change how you view yourself, and Paul writes about this, as a husband, as a wife, as a single person, as a child, as a slave owner, and as a slave. So when he's talking to this, uh, when he's talking to this community of slaves, which we're going to look more at, just the fact that there are sections in here that are dedicated to slaves means something. It means that slaves are a part of the community right? As I preach this message today, I don't say, you know, all of the Martians from this other planet, because I wouldn't be addressing someone who's not here. And in early Christianity, it was one of the only fully egalitarian places where men, women, slave owners, and slaves all worshiped alongside each other. And for him, if they're already in the community, then his word to them is to be about understanding where they are in life under Christ, who Christ is and how we respond to Jesus. Uh, the second thing I want to look at is I want to read a section in Philippians to kind of help continue giving context to this section. This is in Philippians 1, 12 through 14. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is a section of scripture where Paul is writing and talking about being enslaved again. One of the most common places that Paul writes these letters is from prison. 
Paul was arrested for talking about Jesus over and over and over again. And even just to talk about that for a second, you're like, what? wait, why would he be put in prison for talking about Jesus? In the Roman government, of which Paul was a citizen, to be sharing and talking about anyone that was Lord beyond Caesar was a threat to Rome's power. And so this is the reason why Jesus is crucified. This is the reason why Paul is put into prison, because the way that they were talking about who Jesus was was another person to serve and orient your life around other than Caesar, which is something you would be thrown in prison for. Now, when Paul is in prison, it's interesting to read and see how he engaged in prison. There's one story where Paul, they're singing, they're praying, there's an earthquake in the prison, which if you think about this as a movie scene, you're in prison, not a lot of hope, you're singing, you're praying, an earthquake comes, and all the walls come down. The prisoners are like, hallelujah, praise Jesus. <laughs> May not have been a Christian before, but I am now. I'm out of here. Paul is the only prisoner that stays. And he stays so that his guard is not killed for having seen his prisoners flee. Why does he do this? It goes back to the first point. Christ above all. Paul saw every circumstance in every place as an opportunity to serve Paul, serve Christ. Paul, all throughout his, his life and time, he never once said, it's totally cool that I'm in prison. I support this system. I support the Roman government, which imprisons me for talking about Jesus. No. He knew it was incredibly unjust. He knew this is not the way that it was supposed to be but he didn't engage any circumstances without seeing it through the lens of Christ. And he saw this is an opportunity to, to talk about who Jesus is, even in this space. So, when Paul is talking to slaves and saying, how do you understand this lot in life in this space? It's not coming from someone who has a place of privilege that's saying, although he certainly has more privilege than a slave, he's not saying, well, you should just deal with it you know, be really good about this thing that you're in. But Paul actually has a demonstration that this is, fits within his larger theology about how you live and act. Prisoner Paul helps inform why he would say to slaves, this is how you should live. The last thing, third thing I want to look at is we're going to go back to Colossians. So we look first at Ephesians, Titus. The last verse that we looked at in Paul addressing slaves was in Colossians. I want to go up in that book just a little bit. Same chapter, chapter 3, Colossians 3, but just uh, 11 verses earlier. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or a Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. A lot of times what happens is we zoom in so heavily on Paul's writings and we pull out verses and we say, this is what Paul was talking about. I'd actually say it's one of the things that's made the Bible and biblical reading most problematic is we keep pulling apart a whole document and a whole thing and we use it because you can't put the whole book of Romans on a coffee mug or a bumper sticker. 
So we just pull out these little lines and verses and we say, well, this is what it is, not understanding that the way that rhetoric and teaching, the way that writing would have happened in this is that you're creating an umbrella of ideas and these things are cascading out of them. At no point, at several points, Paul says this exact thing. Remember, for him, Christ above all. And he's saying the incredible thing that Jesus does is all of our definitions and labels that we put on each other don't matter at all. Our labels and definitions in light of who Christ are are silly and separate and arbitrary. We're making stuff up. So he's saying in Christ, there is no slave. There is no free. Those distinctions don't matter. Ultimately, it would be the same as saying to your kids, don't fight. And then under the umbrella of don't fight is, and don't antagonize your brother. So the larger umbrella is that slavery is not okay and slavery is not something that we should be practicing or be a part of. And we're going to look at some historical references that proves that is true in the earliest churches, church communities. Because one way to tell, you know, this is what you say, this is the way you're interpreting this through 2019. Okay, that's a fair thought. Let's go back to the first century Christian communities that were reading and sharing Paul, and let's see how they actually lived, which we're going to do in a second. That will be able to tell us something. But Paul is saying, under this umbrella, all of these definitions are no longer valid and arbitrary. And because they're no longer valid and arbitrary, if you find yourself in these positions, this is how you're called to act. This is why this is important. A lot of times in life, we get really confused on the difference between the destination and the path to get there. You with me? Here's where we're going. Those labels don't matter. The path to get there, he's saying, is a version of kill him with kindness. It's a version of be amazing in everything you do. Don't lower yourself to a different standard. Don't become unchristlike so that we can see uh, Christ's vision of humanity come to flourish. Are you with me? And this is so important because this is something that is happening today, right now, with Christians all over the world. We have this vision of how the world should look if Christ is in charge, and we know that's where we're going, and we've sacrificed the path to get there. As some friends have said, the destination may not change, but who shows up there might, will. And what Paul is saying is the goal is no slavery, but here's how we get there. There was absolutely a resistance. And this teaching that was shared and moved forward by Paul comes from Jesus. And we see more recent examples in our own culture. Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, this kind of nonviolent protest, this kind of nonviolent presence in the world wasn't saying that the things that were happening that were so egregious and so against the very nature of what God created us for and what Christ came to redeem and to call out in us is secondary. They're establishing this is the path to get there. Are you with me? And too often we sacrifice that because we say this goal is so good, we are more Machiavellian than we are Christ. We're saying the end justifies the means and we don't find that in scripture at all. Okay, I promised that I would talk to you about some other things that were happening this first century that kind of demonstrates the relationship. 
The first is there's a group of early Christian followers called the Essenes. Um, and they had a rule, they had a law that was enough that it was legal for them in their early Christian community, some would say the earliest Christian community, to own slaves. You could not be a slave owner and be a Christian. Second, we have uh, this letter written from First Clement. Uh, sorry, the letter is called First Clement. Um, because I know this might be new information for some of you. The books in the Bible weren't the only letters or books written in that time. These are the ones that went through the vetting process. These are the ones that were collected in what we call the canon of Scripture that we have now. But there's lots of other writings that happen around the same time, which, uh, although are not in the Bible, are really helpful to know what was the spiritual environment at that time and what was the historical environment at the time. This is one of them. We know that many among ourselves have delivered themselves to bondage that they might ransom others. Many have sold themselves to slavery and receiving the price paid for themselves have fed others. Oh. Did the earliest Christians believe that slavery was okay? No. No. But they worked within that system to bring a little bit more of the light of Christ. Willing even to sell themselves into slavery, into this corrupt and disruptive system, that should not exist, they still participate in it for the sake of others. It's beautiful. We have an image of Shepherd of Hermas. He also wrote a book. Uh, <laughs> if you are bored and you're like, hey, I like Revelation, but it's a little too tame for me. I'd like it weirder. I encourage you <laughs> to go read The Shepherd of Hermas, which is also an apocalyptic vision he was writing down this kind of vision and thoughts that he had. Shepherd of Hermas, who was a writer, and this, this was a letter that was shared, a vision that was shared around the early church communities, was a slave, and a wealthy Roman Christian woman purchased his, slave, uh, uh, his freedom for him. The second pope to ever exist was a former slave. In early Christianity, it was the most progressive movement of its time for freeing and empowering slaves. So ultimately, if Paul, who is, wrote the majority of the New Testament, was pro-slavery, everything we see from this early church community doesn't match. And to go back three weeks, the same exact thing could be said about women in ministry in the early church. If you want the proof in the pudding... It's that women were empowered and leading in the early church over and over and over again. In fact, if you read um, Origen, wrote a, a document in the first century called the Contra Celsum, because there was this philosopher named Celsus who were saying, this is why Christianity is lame and weak and no one should believe it. And Origen does a section-by-section -section rebuttal of his. The main argument of Celsus was that Christianity was a weak-minded religion because it was led by women. So, we can see in the early church community, a lot of times our lenses looking back on this document now have informed how we're reading and interpret it. But the proof of the first century church is anything but. It's empowered leadership for all. Why? Because they actually believed and read what Paul wrote about in Christ there is no slave or free. There is no male or female. 
There aren't all these distinctions, these labels that we keep on trying to make on one another. There is the people of God that are stepping forward and letting their gifts shine and be known. I mean, come on. We should be champions of Paul. We should be talking and putting Paul on bumper stickers and t-shirts and mugs and saying Paul is awesome. What Paul was doing was setting people free left and right. And they're like, what about this? And you're like, you got 45 minutes? Let's talk. Okay. Now, I kind of want to close down this morning with this. If ultimately what you walked away with or what you walk away with this morning is, oh, yeah, Kurt delivered a really powerful message on how slavery is bad. Let's be honest, that's not a great Sunday, okay? (laughs) If that's the takeaway, you're like, man, it was a hard-hitting Sunday. We said, slavery is bad. And I'm like, what? We, We get it. But a lot of times what happened, let me use another example. In a, lo- in a lot of recovery ministries, in a lot of recovery environments, what we're, we're, we're treating and dealing with is that particular drug or narcotic or thing that you're addicted to. And if that's all you ever treat, what you usually find that happens in recovery is that there's a new addiction that gets created. Because we've never actually dealt with the root issues that cause this particular manifestation. One way of looking at it, too, is there's a difference if you have a virus or if you have the common cold. Did you know that all of the medicines, all the cold medicines you can go buy right now, none of them stop the cold, none of them treat the cold, they all treat the symptoms. Right? Because you can't really treat the cold You just deal with the symptoms, and then the cold goes away. If you employ that strategy with a virus, you will just get sicker and sicker and sicker, because you're never dealing with the virus. You're just dealing with the symptoms. In the same way, if you walk out of here and say, slavery is the issue, you're missing the deeper point that Paul was talking about the whole time that creates slavery. There was a belief system that some people were better than others. Some people had more value, and it allowed them to enslave other people. In the same way, we've perpetuated this over and over and over again societally. When we talk about systems of sexism and racism, at the root of those issues are a belief that some people are superior than others. Some people have more a right to leadership or particular roles or way of living in the, in the world than others because it's the only way you can do it. Are you with me? You don't get to own slaves if you're like, we're equal, I just own them. It, it doesn't work that way. You have to believe there's a reason why I am allowed to own you. I've done better at life, I deserve more in life, or you are less than. And if we don't look at that thing, which we may not have slavery anymore, but we very much and deeply have a problem with viewing ourselves through a lens as better than others. I'll share my own example of this. If I'm listening to a political pundit, 
if I'm listening to a sports talk radio host, if I'm listening to a college professor, and they get up there and say, howdy, y'all, I'm going to tell you some stuff today about how we, immediately, I'm like, nope, not listening. If you have a deep southern accent, I just intuitively doubt your intelligence. The things that you're about to say, I'm like, these things can't be true. And if you think about it, go watch Fox News, go watch CNN, go watch MSNBC. Who has the real thick southern accent on there? I remember listening to sports talk radio, and they have these two guys, and one of them has a thick southern accent. And it struck me, because I'm like, this doesn't happen. In our country today, we don't let people from the deep south be the people that talk about this because we have this belief that there's a mental inferiority to people that have that thick of an accent on some level. And it's being perpetuated, it's being shared, it's out there. And you would say, come on, that one's kind of funny, it's more harmless. Yeah, let that be your gateway drug. For you to think about who are the people who are the places, who are the ways that the way they talk about, the way they demonstrate themselves in the world, you immediately think, ah, I'm not listening to you. Ah, I'd, I'd, sorry. I've decided on where I would brand capital T truth and who I receive it through, and it's not people that sound like you, look like you, or come from your side of the tracks. And when we think about our world more and more, Usually the quickest way to either listening or ignoring the people around you is finding out how they voted. If I know how you vote, if I've seen what you post on Facebook, we're good. I know who you are. This is another symptom of the same root, that we actually don't believe that there is an equality to us all. We don't believe that in Christ those distinctions go. Now, here's what I'm not saying. It doesn't mean that just because I differ with someone in something, they're allowed to say whatever they want, and their opinion holds equal value and root to one that I would have or anyone else I would have. There are certain beliefs that are oppressive and harmful to people in our world. And that is a very good basis on disagreement. Where people are from, how they voted, what they look like, is a very bad reason to disagree with someone and what they think. And so it's helpful when we have these conversations, when we're actually engaging in the real world, to think about why am I making these distinctions? What is causing me to lean in and what's causing me to lean out? Because I think this is the transferable truth of what Paul is saying that still works and moves in our world today. Who are we listening to and why are we listening to them? And does Christ actually matter? Some of us might say, well, Paul was just like a Jesus freak. He was like super into Jesus because he had the whole vision. And so that allowed him to kind of say these things about slaves. He's like big into Jesus. Being big into Jesus fundamentally reorients and resets the way we view every human being on the planet Earth. And for Christians to be the most judgmental, exclusionary over and over, the finest of echo chambers where only their voices are being heard and repeated over and over again is exactly the opposite of who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and how he worked in the world, and what his closest followers wrote about, talked about, and lived. 
We should be the people that are out there. We should be the people that are engaging and talking and having these hard conversations and pushing to the deeper truths that are getting to the real issues. If you walk out of here this morning and all you take away is slavery is bad, we failed on a certain level. Although, if that's new information, whew, good. (laughs) My hope is that you would walk out of here this morning and say, the root of slavery is viewing some as being less than or some as being more than. And how do we reorient the way we see and engage everyone in our world? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the writings of Paul. God, I thank you for the example of the earliest church. God, I pray that we would have your eyes. God, we would have your ears. And God, having your eyes and ears would eliminate the labels and distinctions that don't matter, and God would elevate the conversations that do matter. That God, the people that know and follow you would be the ones that operate with a laser-like precision on the ideas and the behaviors that are mistreating and harming so many around us. God, we wouldn't get caught in being petty. We wouldn't get caught up in creating new tribes where we can be surrounded with people who think like us and we like and like us. But God, we would be in diverse communities where we're hearing hard conversations that are different than what we know, that are different than what we grew up with, that's different than what we think. And God, I pray that the floor of the equality we have in Christ would rise to meet our feet and would fundamentally change how we engage with everyone. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.